Hello, bonjour and wagwan everyone. If you don't know by now, this is the DNA Airwaves. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Dariki, and I'm here with my partner in crime as usual, Anthony. Man, I'm good. I'm feeling good, man. How you doing? I can't complain. Happy to be alive. That's, that's, that's a big one right there, man. I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy that you're alive, and I'm happy to have our guest. Uh, why don't you bring him in? It is world-renowned director Sean Menard, filmmaker. What title do you prefer, filmmaker, director? Yeah, filmmaker is cool. I like the world-renowned. I haven't heard that before. No, you guys are breaking news. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's actually a big deal because as as we were kind of mentioning in the the green room before chat, um, we do film, film and music, but we're primarily we've talked to people in the music industry, so. This is a big one, man, and we're starting. Uh, it's it's uh, we're Absolutely. starting at the top, man. That's what it feels like. So, this is yeah. very cool <laughs> yeah. for us. Um, I have a million questions, but I guess we'll just start off with maybe like a little introduction to you. Um, maybe your background, how you sort of got into the film space, and wherever you want to go from there. Yeah, I mean, it was really the only thing that I was above average at in school. Hmm. Uh, my marks were horrible. High school. Um, and then I had a, a communications class where you had to make videos. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I just felt that I was better than everyone else at it. And that's the only thing. That was it, so right? You just felt in like school, they kind of teach you to be almost above average in everything. But in life, you really just need to find that one thing oh. and, and perfect it and drive forward. Um, so that was, that was it. I mean, oh. I didn't have marks that could get into college, uh, film school. That was not an option. Hmm. Um, really, there was only one school that allowed video submissions. So that's how I, I was able to kind of get in. And then um, I just learned the craft of editing. Oh. And then it was, uh, I eventually started working at a, at a sports network, which was called The Score up in Canada. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. What yep. was difficult about that, though, yep. is, um, you know, it's catch-22. You can't get a job in the industry without the experience. So I remember back then I would just drop off boxes of cereal with my resume on the back. And just to try and stand out, <laughs> D likes it. Okay, um, and and uh, but but it was very underwhelming because the resume was was nothing really. And then um, the sure, score right, network right. said the only capacity we're hiring is on-air talent for a contest, and you have to submit an audition clip. Huh. It was like a reality right. show. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I so I just yeah, yeah. set out to make the greatest reality show audition tape ever. The next day after my submission, it was literally focused on the website as the greatest submission. Wow. Um, that they've, they've received. And then, so I was in a, Very cool. a national contest on television for three months on a billboard. You probably recognize me from that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and then eventually, I, I, I mean, I, I lost the competition. I'm not an on-air guy, but what, I, what it allowed me mm. to do was get contacts from all in the building. Right. And then I made a pilot. Right. This is, this has ended up being a way longer intro story, but it's a hustle to we're, get into the industry. Somewhere else. Yeah. Break it down, man. Yeah, I can imagine. That's so, yeah. um, yeah. And then um, once I got in, uh, they, they gave me, they offered me an internship, okay. three months, and then that just turned into a, a full-time, full-time gig after that. Um, and then worked at an, a sports network for a few years. The only thing on my reel were sports uh, features, uh-huh. working with athletes. Right. Um, so I actually got laid off from this network because another network bought it. So it was Sportsnet. Right. Roger Sportsnet yeah. bought yeah. the score. Right, right, right. It yeah. laid me off. All I have on my resume are these sports features. Um, right. So I just decided at the time, I'm like, okay, well, I feel pretty comfortable telling long form content. 
long form at the time to me was half hour. Okay. Half hour was like such right. a, a stretch. Yeah, you know, yeah. I used to make five minutes and then mm-hmm. it, you grow to, to half hour. So um, mm-hmm. I made a documentary on a bunch of Canadian baseball players down in the Dominican, mm-hmm. uh, their junior national team. I put it on my credit card for five grand and then I ended up uh, <laughs> coming home, editing it and selling it to the very same network that technically laid me off yeah uh, they, they ended up buying right. it wow. so for me i was like oh this is my i guess this is my business model now i guess i'm making half hour sports documentaries huh. self-financing them and selling them to sports networks um i would hang on to the u.s rights and then i would sell them out to to u.s and i did that about six times and then yeah. eventually landed on a film called the carter effect yeah um really? which really, uh really, you know yeah. was produced by lebron james production company yeah um they had purchased my first feature film called fight mom Mm. And they were like, basically like, what else you got? Like, well, I got this idea, but the Canadian networks are passing on it. It's called the Carter effect. It's how, you know, Vince Carter came up and impacted the entire basketball culture up here in Canada. Mm, yes. Yeah. And yeah, Maverick was, you know, Maverick Carter was LeBron James production company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so his uh, business manager, mm-hmm. his right hand man. Um, I don't think he goes back as far as, as D and Anthony, your guys' relationships, but, but pretty early on yeah, 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 yeah. in the <laughs> Akron, Ohio days. <laughs> But he just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, um, you know, let's, let's make it. I, I believe in you. I'm going to let you have creative control and, and tell us what you need. And then eventually Drake came on board. Yeah, I'm name dropping right. now, big time. Yeah, but it's okay. yeah, yeah, he yeah. came on as a good producer. He premiered at TIFF. <laughs> That's cool. And um, yeah. yeah, the rest is history. We set records at TIFF for crowd attendance, not only in the theaters, outside, six sold out shows. <laughs> and then it went on, um, Netflix bought it. And it, it was trending top five worldwide. I guess D, I am a worldwide known yeah. now, now that we can. You are yeah. world renowned. I knew I did my homework. Oh, this is, did these my are homework. facts. <laughs> these are facts. I mean, I, I was yeah, listening. You said so much mind blowing. I'm going to go back to it because the one thing that I really got from it, um, I mean, I'm far away, so no one could slap me in the face. D, I realize we have one thing up on LeBron James how long we've been best friends. Yeah, yeah, ah, we beat him there. Dad, yeah, 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 that's cool. But um, yeah. <laughs> you're, it's a sign of greatness when you like. You started off telling the story of like humble beginnings in the film space, and as you're talking, you saw all of a sudden you start like flipping off your chair. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Feels like we obviously yeah, there was yeah. a lot of work. Like even the fact of mentioning that you did that uh, documentary on the, uh, the baseball players in the Dominican and sort of creating the business model based on that. That in itself seems like it took a lot of planning as well thought out. I don't doesn't sound like it was accidental. Um, how did you come up with that model and then repeat it? Yeah, it was the business model of I got to eat. I got to <laughs> find a way to pay my rent. And, sure. you know, looking around, this is what I had been doing through my 20s. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really didn't get my first Crazy. full-time gig wasn't until I was 27. Okay. Um which I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on timelines and right when you're out of school, I was always editing and doing side job hustles, promo videos, wedding videos, Mm. but professionally I didn't get in the door until I was about 27. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it was well thought out. It was just, I, I need to find a way to make something. I feel that I was pretty good at what I was doing well above average. I was putting things every week, um, to national television and I was doing it at a very high clip. Mm. Um, right. Just getting a lot of reps. So yeah, then the business model kind of just, I didn't really realize it was something until I started to get paid for it. Um, yeah. Getting back the money I was putting out, which wasn't a huge investment, but 
Um, and then just taking that money and and funding the next one and doing it over and over. It wasn't until Maverick Carter, LeBron James production company, they were the first time that actually got hired to do someone actually putting up the money to do anything was was the Carter effect. Before that, it was just, um, my, my own investments on credit cards and yeah, just betting on myself. Yeah. It's huge. That's amazing. And I mean, I, the, the going back to the, your time at the score, I remember how iconic for me the score was just because they were really uh, focused on sports that weren't getting coverage on the major networks. Like, and they had some like really cool basketball segments. And to think about some of the guys that came out of there, when you think of Tim McAuliffe and where he is now, and um, he's on the breakfast show now. What's his name? Sid Sixero. And um, even Cabby, he kind of blew up off of the score. Adnan Verk is over at ESPN. Elliot, I think, was started at the score, too. So were you you in the hallways around this time when all these guys were there? And just watching how cool and, like, it was really cool. It was the coolest, like, sports network ever. And it was kind of tragic to me when it went away. But can you talk a little bit about your time in the hallways at the score? Because I I really love that network, and it was – it was devastating when they left, and I was hoping that they would kind of find another network to kind of keep that cool sports programming going. But mm-hmm. to know that you were a part of that, it must have been really, really cool to yeah, be a part of that. Yeah, you know, being you know being part of the score was was huge in my career because they were the only non union non union national sports network. Oh, okay. So right. you could do anything. There were no rules. Oh, I was yeah. an intern right. editing on a laptop. And I would go, and they would send me, you know, on the road interview an athlete. They'd send me with a cameraman. I'd be editing it, and then the next day would just be on television. Yeah. So the freedom I had was insane. So it allowed me just to keep doing that. Yeah. I remember I was. I mean, you mentioned, of course, Cabby and and Tim and Sid had just started their podcast, um, which you know helped them and and grow their career. That was just something they were doing. Yeah on their own mm-hmm. but they uh i was sitting next to jackie redman and yeah, she, she ended up she she just she, she won the show yeah, right she, on the drafted show yeah and yeah, then yeah, she ended up yeah, she yeah, just yeah, got right. hired uh, she was doing work down at the mlb network in america nhl network yes, and she yes. just got hired to be on um wwe smack time uh, smackdown oh, wow, i believe nice. she's like a host there yeah, yeah, okay. so it's interesting to watch so many people come out of that area because there was such a a freedom to create and and to be able to just right. basically do whatever you wanted um as long as it didn't cost much money i mean i was making 35k a year yeah. as a producer i was barely covering downtown rent but it yeah. was right. Right. i knew that um it was going to pay off because of the experience i was getting in such a short amount of time right right wow yeah and yeah and just the, some of the stuff that came out of that was was legendary and i'm just also curious as to because i almost forgot until i watched the documentary um but like vince carter's impact on toronto and the city in terms of putting it on the map most people attribute that to drake which i mean he definitely took vince carter's baton and you know went 10 times but carter was really the one that made toronto cool people started wearing toronto Mm -hmm. raptors jerseys he was dunking all over the place people thought about Toronto because of Vince and I'm just curious as to what was your inspiration to even coming up with the idea of the Carter effect yeah my inspiration came from I was living right downtown um, at the time I was right beside the Air Canada Center and Mm -hmm. I remember 
it was almost the first time the Raptors had made the playoffs in about eight years, and yeah. all they, right, right. all these kids and fans just showed up to watch the game on the screen outside because they couldn't afford a ticket inside. But this was before really, they called yeah. it Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah, this yeah. was before the sponsors and the gates. Yeah. It was yeah. just something very organic, and it was yeah. it was really, really quite right. beautiful to see uh, the passion that the city mm-hmm. and the thirst for playoff basketball. And yeah. so right. after a couple of years of witnessing this, I just kind of started to ask the question, how did we get here? How did we, mm-hmm. I mean, cause at the time it was breaking news around the world. Like, look at this fan base, yeah, yeah. other fan bases since That's copy, uh, copy what, yeah, they, what they've done. Right. But uh, by putting mm-hmm. that large screen outside and having that kind of tailgating experience. So, I just traced it back. So, well, okay, how did we become? I mean, everyone likes to call Toronto and Canada a hockey city, right? But, yeah. right. but what I'm seeing is is incredible passion here, and the fan base is very young. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I just you know you start going back and you start looking. Wow, Vince Carter was really the one putting on the map, and then I started noticing NBA players getting drafted first overall, consecutive right. years. Anthony yes. Bennett, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Andrew yeah. Wiggins, and those sure, players, yeah. Tristan Thompson, all these players started saying they fell in love with basketball growing up watching Vince Carter. And then you just started yeah, right, hearing and right. reading more. Kevin Durant would talk about it. And so you started to, uh, I don't know, I just, I saw this and came up with the title, this thing called Carter Effect. And at the time I had done maybe four or five documentaries I sold in Canada. So I would just go back to those networks. I got this idea yeah. to how Vince Carter's impacted yeah. more than just basketball, but the culture, he's grown the city. And all the Canadian networks passed on it. They said, it's no hard one, to everyone knows that story. To... Oh, mm, right. Yeah. No, but this is the, this is the story of my, of my life. But I think this is a lot of people can relate to when you just believe something deep down yep. in your soul, yep. like this is a great idea or this is something that I need to bring into existence. Yeah. I can't control what happens after that. I, I can only control the yes. quality of the work, yep. but it's not really up to yes. me how, how successful it is. It's just getting right. that over the starting line. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's really the focus, and that's where a lot of the magic lies. And I just think about how that's many, yeah. you know, great albums never get made, or mm. how many movies that, or you know, books that don't get written, or movies that aren't aren't created because they come from that place of being told, you know, nah, no people aren't interested in this. True. Um, right. So I just <laughs> I I I kind of shelved it because. I, I, at the time, didn't believe that anyone in America would go for something so Toronto-centric. Yeah, yeah. And then right. um, I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you, when LeBron James Production Company and Maverick Carter were so interested in it. So, well, you know, and, and, and I remember sending them an early cut, yeah. and that their only note was, more Toronto. Let's see more shots of Toronto. That's cool. Because I was a little self-conscious. I was like, this is a little, right. yeah, guys, yeah. this is a Toronto love letter. Yeah, How are you Americans going to feel? <laughs> yeah. But... They wanted more of it, wow. and it was it was crazy timing. I mean, Drake had just, I think, a, a year or two removed from putting himself on the CN Tower as an album cover, mm-hmm. and right. then yeah, yeah. I remember Drake was wow. very hesitant, him and his team, getting on board. They wanted to see a rough cut and see the quality of the work, and I, re- right. I, n- I never forget, like, I basically edited the film, and I would leave little pockets where I'd say... Drake will talk here. I remember uh, having a text. Yeah. And Drake will talk about this here. Uh, so yeah, when he yeah. sat down to watch it, it was basically a finished film with just little cues for what he would speak about. Mm. And mm-hmm. 
they wanted something epic as a backdrop in the city. And I presented a few options. And the one that, that stuck was the, um, was the Toronto Royal Ontario Museum, the ROM. Mm. They actually have yep. dinosaur fossils. Right. And so we used actual velocal, how do you say the name? Raptors? Velocal raptors. Yeah. So we actually have their fossils kind of in the background. But fun fact, Jurassic Park, they actually took creative liberties and made those raptors the most badass characters. And that's how the, the team right. name yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously yeah, came yeah. about. But they made them seem like they were 10 or 12 feet tall. Actual raptors were, you know, only two or three feet. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Anyway, they're in the background. That's cool. Drake's, cool. Drake's yeah. sitting down, and that was the first time Drake ever agreed. I mean, we're talking 2017. First time he ever sat down for an interview in a documentary, ever. Wow. And um, wow. I remember we were about 20 minutes, half hour in, and his manager, Future the Prince, just kind of leans in and goes, hey, man, we're here as long as you need. Take your time. So, um, yeah, we went for maybe an hour, wow. and it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience. I had a lot of credibility uh, to the film, for sure. Well, yeah, that's... Oof, that's amazing that's big and um okay so obviously you're a great storyteller and i'm impressed by that but it's uh it's a little different perspective for i guess for someone like myself i don't really see things i mean music i get but like just visually and putting things together amazes me and just the fact like as you're explaining how this documentary came to be and how you even like had the shots and like left pockets with like the cues just for people to sort of for drake specifically to like sort of see the context and understand where you're going with it i don't know how much you could give us away but can you or give away but can you talk us a little bit through that process like taking your idea the concept that you have for say the carter effect and we'll talk about the new documentary as well that you have um but just in general like taking those ideas translating them i guess even some casting the shots like there's so much involved music plays a big role in these things too how does it sort of start to come together that's a great question anthony I, I, my process changes a lot mm. over time back okay. then i used to edit you know crazy you know till the sun come up you know i would do you know, 18, 20 hour sessions, Ooh. sleep, and then repeat. Wow. I, in Carter Effect, I pretty wow. much edited in about, I'd say under three weeks. Wow. I just went every day. Um, I don't know. It, so it was very extreme. That is, now yeah. I found a more process of, um, I guess the term would be uh, slow productivity. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing such long hours, but you're doing it every day. And you're just yeah, building, right. you're, you're, you're the tortoise, not the hare right, right, in right. the race. Yeah. Um, is the metaphor. It's a great story for of course, anyone yeah. to uh, apply to their own business. I mean, you guys are doing these podcasts in the morning. You're very much doing that approach. Is is like you're banging these things off, but you're staying, you're playing the long game, you're trying to be consistent. True. That's really what um, gets lost in in the in the arts is people don't ha don't spread that message enough. That it's I mean. It's just, it's, it's no different than the construction worker that puts on a hat and shows up every day. True. Um, it's, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's, the, it's long, yeah. it's uh, delayed gratification, especially in my area, True. in my field. I mean, I'll start a film and people won't, might not see it for two years right. and I'm okay with that. Right. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not a YouTube video that I'm filming or put something on social media and it's up the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just, I, being comfortable with that approach and um when you're not working you're thinking about it and finding little ways to change it make it better 
I don't know if I'm explaining the process you right, are, but you that's kind of I mean, how process, I as you're talking, I'm like, process, delayed gratification, those aren't sexy words, but that's what it takes, right? So, yeah, you're doing a great job of explaining. You're taking yeah. us somewhere with it, too. I, I, I get it. I get it. But, yeah, please keep going. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you wanted to lead into the, the Much Music project in particular, but, yeah. I mean, that, I, that was the project I wanted to do right after I finished Carter Effect, and I couldn't get anyone... Same, same exact no story. Interest. Couldn't get anyone to fund it. This uh, one was different. I couldn't just make weird. it on my own. Yeah. It is weird. You hear about it's, it and you're like... I think Canada doesn't want to highlight Canadian, you know, iconic moments or iconic buildings, yeah. for example, or iconic networks. It, it doesn't make sense. This is, it's a real problem in this country. Huh. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I'm hoping that films like this... I mean, I noticed after Carter Effect, there was probably six or seven Canadian basketball stories that came from it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping that mm-hmm. there's going to be some sort of Canadian music, um, much music effect from this film. Right. Um, yeah. Because these are important stories. These are, our, these are you know, Absolutely. about our culture. Yeah. This is stuff that we grew up yep. with. Um, and we were doing things that were groundbreaking that no one else in the world were That's doing. Much music... Yeah. I mean, yeah. much music didn't have budget, but man... <laughs> They were just the idea of shooting things where the person on camera, you can see their office space behind. Yeah. <laughs> that just yeah, came yeah. from a place of we have no money. We don't have a set <laughs> right. that we can build. We need a functional office. Yeah. So we'll shoot here. But And now it's used almost that's all the true. time. Right? So, yeah. So is, and, and then um, they went live to air because they didn't have money to you know edit everything. It would take time and, and and resources. So like we'll just shoot it live and, and it goes straight out. But magic. but it created this. There was a magic yeah. to that um, yeah. understanding that you had to catch it once, and if you didn't, it was gone. See, or you would yeah. put in a VHS yeah. in your VHS player and you would record it and you would <laughs> right? invite your friends over because you you've captured this moment. Oh, I've got this yeah, you know right, music right. video and I can. This is how I'm listening to it. Yeah. So yeah. it's all this this great stuff. And I you know I see you guys nodding your heads because you obviously grew up with that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I just I wanted to um, I wanted to take it there and I it was very similar to. Um, I love the response that the Carter Effect was able to do. The city of Toronto, this country, mm-hmm. it very much influences me as an artist. And so yeah, um, right. I wanted to kind of uh, tell another Toronto love love letter, another story. And to me, what happened at 299 Queen Street West, the most famous address in the country, yeah. um, was, was worthy of that. And then it was just trying to figure out, okay, well, who owns the rights to all this footage? It's a big corporation, huh, yeah. Bell Media. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would go to them and, and say, you know, this is an important story. I think this is going to, you know, affect a lot of people around the world. And same thing. Now we did a documentary a few years ago. It's just not something we're into. I don't think people really care about much music. Wow. So we don't want to embrace the history. So I would go and do other projects and I would circle back wow. and it just kept repeating until yeah. eventually, um, during COVID, you know, we had lockdowns and couldn't leave the country, which is pretty much my job as, as a filmmaker to go and travel. Yeah, right, yeah, so right. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something home at home. Yeah. What, what is it? And then, um, my, my wife, who's my producing partner, mm-hmm. she would hear me talk about much music for the last five or six years. Right, right. <laughs> and then one night she jumps on YouTube and she types in much music, eighties, nineties, and she gets lost in this magical rabbit hole because she had grown up yeah. in China. So she grew up removed from the much music oh. experience. Oh, that's amazing. And wow. her mind was blown because she knew the artists. Yeah. These are iconic artists they're interviewing. But in the style, it was just these VJs were so laid back and they would have these personalities just 
become themselves. Yeah. And I'll never forget the next yeah. morning. She said to me, we, we got to make this movie. You got to, you got to bring this to life. This is incredible. So I, I give a lot of credit to her because, you know, we put up our house to finance this wow. and we just moved wow. forward. Um, and then eventually, you know, using YouTube clips, interviewing the VJs, just doing it ourselves, putting together this film and then approaching Bell Media um, with it and said, hey, this is what, you know, I cut a trailer. I sent it to them. Yeah. So this is what I'm putting together. Sometimes you have to show people your visual idea. You have to take it off the page, right. especially if it's a visual medium, right? Yeah. This is this is the yes. flavor. This is what, what I'm thinking. This is how it's going to feel. <laughs> and um, and then from there it was, okay, wow, we love this. Let us know how we can help out. And they gave me full access for the first time ever. You know, filmmakers never had access to those archives. Um, wow. So that was pretty special. That's it's crazy because from what you're from what we've seen of your work and your career and the growth um, from some of your previous work, you've already proven the concept. You've already proven that your ideas catch um, beyond Toronto, beyond Canada. So it's weird to think that an organization who anyway, an organization wouldn't see that. Um, but I guess that's reality. So when you approach yeah. when you approach the VJs, right, and other people that were involved with uh, much music at the time, how was the reception from them? Um, it was it was good. It was great. I mean, it was, but it was very. Um, people were very skeptical. Still. They had, they had known my work. Okay. Um, I mean, that helped for sure. But it was. Uh, is this really going to get made? I didn't realize that oh, okay. that filmmakers have been trying to make this for years and, and been reaching out to these oh, VJs. Gotcha. Some of these VJs had even interviewed on camera, but it, it right. never got past the Bell Media gate. Right. It never okay. went anywhere. Gotcha. So I think a lot of them had told me after it was, oh, okay, just another filmmaker trying to make another much music documentary. Fair. Okay. Um, right, so right. it was pretty cool when I was able to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I finished this. I, I, I basically, you know, I did the film um, last last year, last year okay. in January, it kind of started production. F- uh, finished in March. Um, spent the summer editing it, and then I submitted to South by Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, just a cold submission. Um, yeah. Which one? It's grown into one of the biggest film festivals, music festivals, yeah. <laughs> um, technology festivals in America, yeah. and um, they accepted it for its world premiere. And so it was really cool to be able to follow up with these VJs and say, Hey, you know, this is where the world premiere is happening. And then we're going to circle back That's and cool. do something big in Canada, uh, which I was hoping was going to be TIFF. Um, but it didn't work out like that, but okay. we're still, um, we're still going to be at the, the, one of the biggest venues, the biggest venue, uh, at Roy Thompson hall, big, big, um, yeah. on nice. September 22nd for it. So it's really cool, man. That's huge, That's exciting. Really huge. Awesome. Um, and speaking of huge, when you're explaining, uh, Bell media, finally giving you the, the access to the footage that must've been overwhelming. It sounds like it would have been a, like how much footage did you get and how much time went into like sifting through to find usable? Yeah. I mean, it was no dissimilar to how I was talking about the process interviewing Drake. We had, okay the edit kind of bill and earmarked. So we weren't just walking into the archives. Okay. We, I had a, um, an understanding of what right. I was looking for, Makes sense. Gotcha. which, which Got helped. Right. Um, right. we, we initially earmarked around 5,000 clips. Ooh. I would say of that. We thought this is probably going to make the film or could make the film. Yeah. And then it was through interviews. So I would have conversations yeah. similar to we're having where I would just be curious. I just want to learn. Right. 
um, I would have a very light set of questions, but mostly I would allow the the storyteller, the interviewee to kind of guide where we're going. Mm. And they would say things and I would just, when I would listen back, I'd say, oh, well, let me try and find that clip or let me try and see, find sense. something yeah. visually that pairs well. So this is actually the first Smart. film I've ever made where we don't see anyone on camera. There's no cuts to, uh, you know, sit down interview frames. Uh -huh. The entire yeah, film yeah. is archives visually wall to wall. Wow. And the interviews are placed underneath um, cool. my vision was to create a way for the viewer to be transported back into that time period, what it was like to watch much music. And I found wow. the most effective way is to live in that time visually, uh, never go to modern time. Nothing that you see from 2023, yeah. everything is, if we're in, you know, the early eighties and the, the dawn of rap city yep. and Michael Williams is, is promoting yeah. that, then that's what we're seeing, yeah. you know, um, yeah. And moving along into Master T and to Mix, we're we're living in that. If um, Monica Diol is hosting Electric Circus and she can't get dancers out, <laughs> and she's talking about the struggling of that show, we're living in that time. Mm. Nothing is is told upon um, reflection. Right. So it's not. Um, right. No one's looking oh, back cool. when they're explaining stories. They're living in that moment. So four thousand clips, five thousand clips, and then we ended around four hundred in the film. Wow. Um, yeah. 10%. That's incredible. I mean, we got to speak to uh, one of the VJs. We were lucky enough to have a moment with Bill Walichka. And cool uh, he yeah. was really excited about this documentary as well. He was so cool. He wrote a book about his experience, but seeing it come to film, I'm sure, is going to be way better and so nostalgic. Even just when you mentioned Rap City, yeah, and Mike yeah. Williams, it brings Electric it back circus. to you know, the <laughs> beginning. Yeah, yeah. Electric Circus. Sp even Speaker's Corner. Yeah, or. Yeah. Uh, there were so many intimate interactive. There's yeah. so many cool things about much music. <laughs> um, but when you go and sit down to make a film or a documentary, has there ever been like, not even just on this one, but any of your documentaries, a moment where you have a vision and you kind of have to veer off of the path of your vision just to kind of make it work. Is th <laughs> does that happen or is that ever? Yeah, I would say all the time. <laughs> I think, right, um, I, would imagine so. I think it's dangerous or it's um, not beneficial to go into, especially a documentary, with a set agenda or a set idea. Right. How do you really know? If the story is coming from, in this film I interviewed 10 VJs. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, I have an idea what their journey and their story is, but you don't really until you sit down with someone True. and have a conversation. True. So I go in very loose and that's um, purposeful. Mm. It, it feels mm. very... Uh, I guess it can feel a little scary, but I've gotten used to it where, right. and I think that's why I struggle a lot trying to find financing because everyone wants to know exactly what the set vision is. Right. And I have to be there going, I don't know. Nobody knows. Fair. Um, yeah. We can have ideas and I can hope for things, but until I sit these individuals down, they're the narrative. So then I'm, I have to be willing to go that way. Uh -huh. um, so staying loose and flexible is, is, is paramount. It's key in what I do. And then um, right. I think that's the magic of it. I mean, scripted films, and, and that's something I've been trying to hustle and move towards for the last seven years is oh, wow. perfecting my craft on scripted, but it's very regimented. I mean, I, I would imagine when you're yeah. on set, everyone knows the story. Everyone knows where you're going. Right. There's no huge surprises in the edit. But I think the magic of documentary right. is it, you don't really know where you're going. 
Um, and that's, mm, it's a true. pretty exciting, cool feeling. And when you see it start to take shape and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm in the matrix where I'm, I'm oh, this is where we're going to go. <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to cut to here and then yes, and then it's going to build up to this. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's the exciting uh, payoff point. That's the creative sure. genius. Yeah. I'm sure that's where the magic yeah. happens. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't necessarily want to tell the story until the story's been told to you. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's there's nothing, um, nothing genius about it. It's really just, I've been doing it. I started small by telling two or three minute stories. Yeah. Even at two or three minutes, yeah. there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And then yeah. you stretch out and right. you say, Oh, this one's going to be five minutes. Mm. And then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to do an eight minute or 10 minute feature, which feels so long, yeah. but it's the same process. And then it grows to half hour. Carter effect was an hour. Yeah. Um, and this film is two hours. So you, you learn to just, it's, uh, it's like running, you know, if you're, you're training to run a marathon, you, you don't just get out there and I don't even know what a marathon is. I'm not a long distance runner, <laughs> 10, 20 K. It sounds yeah. daunting, but I, I imagine you start small and work your way up so. and, yeah. And then you just uh, try to uh, get better yeah. each time. Yeah. I'm sticking. To, I'm sticking to genius. What are some I'm sticking to <laughs> creative genius? It is what it is. <laughs> Go ahead, D. What do you think are some important qualities for a aspiring film director? Mm. Like, what would you say are some of the things that f a young film director should really hone his skills on? I know. I know you mentioned you edit a lot. So I don't know if that's something you would you would recommend, but what are some recommendations for an aspiring filmmaker to really work on before they even touch a school or a camera? Yeah, I mean, I th I would I would encourage them to pick up a camera right away and just film something and then edit it mm. right, and then okay. repeat. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful mm. time to be able to you can shoot something on an iPhone. That's true. And yeah. sit right. down and there's editing software within the phone. True. I mean, I, I yeah. got my start on two VHSs. You know, that's, wow. I mean, my family, we got an extra one at a garage sale and on an old VHS camera and that's how I learned to edit. Wow. Um, mm. so it's a lot more accessible now. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. you just got to do it and then you have to be prepared to show, not tell. I think I meet a lot of young filmmakers that are always telling me about something they want to do or they have this idea. Mm, okay. Um, as soon as you put it out there, people want to. Um, you know, find an opportunity. I would say this just came to me. You know, um, people reserve the name of a child. They they, they yeah. wait and to, till when the child's born. If you say the name before, people have an opportunity to uh, you know get all over top of it and and create negativity with that's a terrible name. Mm -hmm. Ah, you can't be doing mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. And they make fun of it. But right. once it's born, I mean, they they'll do it behind your back. But that's <laughs> right. at, at least um, it, at least it has a chance to exist. Right. So I think right. I think um, understanding that there's a lot of negativity when anyone's trying to do something that's outside of the box True. or especially in the creative space. I see it. I mean, yeah, you guys probably hear about it all the time sense. in music. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a big reason why a lot of artists are having a hard time in the music space repeating success because yeah. they are so concerned about how other people, how their fans, um, they're on social media all the time. That's how they got big. So they have to stay there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, it's a dangerous place for creatives to live. I think you have to um, create something and then just um, show people, you know, don't talk about it, be about it, find a way yeah. for it to exist. <laughs> and then yeah. um, be in a place where you can say, hey, um, you know, how, how can I get better and how can I keep doing this? True. That's, that is, That's yeah. Brilliant. Um, 
And I guess you mentioned like showing people your work, I guess, for that feedback. So that made me think, um, like, who, who do you show? Do you have a team that you go to or what's your, I guess, create, you know what I'm saying? Just people who kind of yeah, I, give you feedback and critique. Yeah, I've, I've kind of, um, I'll show, yeah, I'll show a few people that, that I respect. I think I feel pretty comfortable now as a storyteller where I'm so particular and I'm so picky mm. that. I feel like if it's passing my test, then should be good. I should be all right. I'm really just, um, I'm really just scratching my own itch with everything I do. Fair. I want this is what I want to see. I, I want to watch a much music documentary, but I can't find it, huh. so I'll just create it. it. Makes sense. So that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find if I'm the audience, then I, I, I don't really know how to. I mean, earlier in my career, I would take on work that uh, is something I wouldn't watch, you know. But you have to do that to fair it's a payday and and it's getting you get it better at your craft but to hit your sweet spot is to get to a spot where i'm creating this and i know exactly who the audience is and that's me so it allows me to um know exactly what i want to see and have that freedom to to create it Mm -hmm. that makes sense it makes a lot of sense and then i assume you watch back i mean you're at you're in the editing process i guess you're reviewing things and constantly What's the point, or is there a point where you just watch the whole thing uh, in its entirety and say, this is it? Or do you ever watch it in entirety and then go back again? Or is that just a part of the process? Yeah, yeah I think um, switching your environment is really important. I, I mean, hear a lot of artists in music yeah. that will yeah. that will go for a car ride and listen to their, yeah, yeah. Listen to their track in the car. Sure. I do something very similar where, you know, if I'm in the editing room, I, I'll bring it to my TV in my living room. Okay. And, I, and now I'll put it up there and I'll just, I'll sit back and watch her. I might have a couple of buddies over and I'll sit behind them and just kind of witness, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're seeing cool. it through their eyes almost right. and you're experiencing it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and things that, um, if I feel I, I physically tight during different areas, okay, I know I got to trim and clean that up. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, okay. uh, it's an ongoing process of, um, you know, whittling it down, chipping away. Yeah. Uh, it's like a sculptor with a big pile of clay and you're just yeah, constantly, yeah. you know, whacking away <laughs> and, and removing, removing until the uh, angel res- reveals itself in the marble. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's pretty, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the process. Yeah. And, and is there ever a moment where you like, or has there ever been a moment where you weren't sure if this is the complete and you're just like, forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. It is what it is. I'm putting it out. Or do you feel usually this is it? I'm I'm happy. I can release this or sell it or you know sh- show it to. Someone. Yeah, I it, I do hit a spot where I feel that I can go no farther. Okay. I feel um, even though I have high expectations of my work, I'm not a perfectionist. I know mm. at the end of the day, it needs to exist. It needs to get out there. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think some of the things that you're talking about. I feel is even even makes me overthink. I try not to uh, to do that. I try I try to come from a place yeah. of um, yeah. I I just it's a feeling that you know when you you hit your spot and it's um, by the time it, it has its premiere. I mean when it had its world premiere in Austin, I remember there was another filmmaker down there, and I was ordering food to my seat in the theater. Yeah because you could do that at this particular venue and he couldn't believe it so how are you eating before your movie i I get freaked out before my premieres (laughs) Uh, and i'm like well i'm not 
I'm not filming. I'm not editing. Like the film is done. done like yeah. it, it, it is yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel great about it. Right. That's, otherwise I wouldn't have got into this festival. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my job is to, I get to, this is the most exciting, fun part is now I made a film that I wanted to watch and now I get to sit down in a movie theater with a bunch of other people yeah. and have that shared experience cool. and watch this movie. I mean, what, why would yeah. I be nervous about that? I'm excited. That's that is, great. Yeah. That's a great attitude. And I think, uh, a lot more filmmakers need to feel that way with their finished. Well, that, that com- it comes it from, I mean, independently doing it for 11 years. True. You know, right, before true, that true. I worked, um, I worked uh, for a few years. And, and I should say, you know, even when I, when I uh, got laid off from when Roger Sportsnet bought, I started working at TSN. They uh-huh. hired me right away mm-hmm. because of my uh, portfolio yeah, and, my, yeah. and my body of work. Right. But it was union. So I was a guy who... You know, you'd send me on the road and on the flight back, I'd be editing on the plane on my laptop and I'd deliver the work. Uh-huh. There, I was hired as a producer. So I can't physically touch the computer. That An editor has to do that. So oh, now all of a sudden, it's yeah, like, why would you frame. take me and just, you know, have me tie <laughs> one hand behind my back? And, and it's just, it's, so I, I was there for three weeks oh, and right. I found yeah. out real quick, I can't make any real uh, art. There, I can't make something baseline that I can show my friends and go check this out and feel great about it. I mean, that's well, that maybe not sense. what you should aspire to, but that was just how I felt. Mm. Like I can't cre- creator, create anything right? of, yeah. of real worth here. Yeah. yeah. So, so I left and it was, I have no plan other than I just need to find a way to get better and have creative freedom to be in a place to get better. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. Huh. Um, just, well, a couple more before we let you go, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, someone like yourself that's made brilliant pieces of work, who do you draw inspiration from in the industry in terms of are there any documentarians that you are like a fan of or any documentaries you watch that kind of really sparked your interest in filmmaking or documentary making? Yeah, I don't not anymore. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm actually um, I'm a little unimpressed mm. with... The modern day documentaries, I feel the Netflixes and everything, everything kind of feels templated. Everything feels the same. Everything, um, no one's really taking big creative risks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to operate from a fresher place, a a new perspective. Yeah. Um, Authenticity. I I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah, I I think in many ways, even when I was telling the story of much music and you get to the, the, the section where they jumped the shark and they really started to go downhill mm-hmm. and you, and the movie breaks into it, but it, it was really doing what a lot of what I see in the music industry, what I see in television is a uh, much music when it was at its core, they were a trendsetter, right? They were not a trend follower. Exactly. Yep. They would say, yep. Hey, check this out. This is what we think is cool. Mm-hmm. And you'd sit down and get your mind blown. And sometimes I, I think that there's a, there's a real beauty in that. I agree. I'm not a big fan of, um, all these algorithms and data mm-hmm. and, and this is what people want to see. Sometimes I don't know yeah, what I want to yeah. see. Sometimes I don't want to see the right. same yeah. type of thing Great over one. and over and over right. again or, or listen to the same yeah. track or same artist. Right. I mean, look at, look at um, hip-hop music, for example. Yep. How long are we going to be stuck in this trap music phase? That's a fair I mean, question. Right, right. Rap yeah. at its best and hip-hop over the years was always reinventing itself. There'd be a fresh artist that would come out and they would change up the game right. and they would have longevity. Yeah. Where is that artist right. now? I have I. We, why are we still talking about the same artist from ten years You're ago? Right. Um, so point. I think 
in saying that, I think this is a beautiful time because in history and in art, anytime things get kind of stuck Mm -hmm. or um, in the movie industry, they used to, you know, in the late 60s, it was all star driven and the fans stopped Mm -hmm. coming out and supporting it. Producers would make movies. Mm -hmm. And then out of that era, it was a beautiful time because they gave these directors with unique voices, uh, smaller budgets, but they were... Uh, they made f- fresh things for the audience right. and it was one of the most beautiful yeah. times in cinema mm. we saw it again in the 90s coming out of the 80s so yeah. i think we're at that point i think music will uh go on this great run we just have to be stuck in the mud for a little bit here and and the same with right. documentaries and, and in arts so um yeah i tried to uh i don't know if i'm answering your question on what inspires me but no i think i think you kind of said you nailed it basically you don't you're not impressed, but like also you don't want to be influenced by the same mundane cool. style. Yeah. And, and I think yeah, I think what I'll, I'll, I'll watch a documentary and I'll just see all the different areas that I I would do things different here. I would almost re-edit right, it, yeah. like set the tempo. Uh, um, why do we have to hear five different people on camera saying variations of the same five mm-hmm. things? It's like I get it. This person right, was influential. Right. This yeah, play, yeah, person yeah. changed the game. <laughs> Move on. Mm-hmm. So I right. yeah, I think. Um, yeah, and I, I would say like even with much music, you know, people tuned in because it was different than the radio. It was different than Top 40 radio. Mm-hmm. Why, why would I listen to Top 40 radio, turn on my TV, and then watch Top 40 music videos? Right. Defeats the mm-hmm. point. Yeah, true. But right. Top 40 is, is Top 40 for a reason. That's what's popular. That's what the uh, music industry invests money and, mm-hmm. and time and resources into and promote their artists. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. But as right. soon as you start to make decisions... Um, on the short term, yeah. and this goes across the board in all businesses, when you start making short-term decisions for short-term money, what happens? You're gonna get you're gonna get burned on the long term. Right. You are. Yeah. Right. And when you have yeah. a, a a film festival that 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 grew to be world renowned here in Toronto, right. and you start changing it up from being a film festival to a star-driven festival, mm. right? And yeah. then yeah. it no longer is about the quality of the work; it's about who. Which Stars, big actor yeah. is directing it's this movie? Yeah, and then what happens yeah. when there's a strike, and nobody shows, yeah. and you know the people start coming out. So I, yeah, there's yeah. the same. What's going on at the Toronto Film Festival is what's going on. What happened with Much Music? And I hope people watch this film, and and see that that rise and that fall and where they went wrong, right. and apply it to the creative arts. That's um, that that's really. Uh, I mean, there's still some stuff out there. I don't want. I mean, there's still obviously some great programming stuff that that break through the mold. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Profound, my friend. Nice, wow. nice. Um, how do you feel about? I know you you're not too crazy on analytics in terms of music and all the how data driven, you know, all media seems to mm-hmm. be. Um, but how do you feel about you know AI? Because I know you were, you mentioned the strike, and I'm just curious as a film director, how do you feel about AI and the use of technology in 2023 and i'm excited for it to be honest with you i'm I'm excited for it in a sense of i don't think it will ever get to the point where it's generating interesting enough music or um you know television or books or movies it's just not i mean that's that's an intrinsic that's a that's a human element that even an artist can't really explain where their ideas come from. It's very hard to articulate. It comes out of the sky. I don't, I don't know. Um, (laughs) You know, it comes out of a dream or you're in the shower and an idea comes to you. Um, Being creative is what makes a human, a beautiful thing. So fearing that 
um, um, is I think maybe misguided or maybe it's individuals that, um, uh, are, aren't as create, aren't embracing the creative arts or are understanding it, yeah, I would say that, fully. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think, I think it's actually going to be a helpful tool. I think it's no dissimilar than that people hmm. used to get afraid of computers in the eighties and it was going right. to take everyone's right. jobs. But what did it do? It just helped everyone, um, you know, do their jobs even more. Look, look at the, yeah. the app yeah. that we're on right now. Right. And yeah. we have our, right. our microphones exactly. here and this was unheard of 15, 20 years ago. Absolutely. So right, right. I think yeah. on the other side of it, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a great tool. I think it's going to be, um, you know, from an independent filmmaker standpoint, I hope that there's, I, I don't have to, you know, I can be faster in my edits with an assistant editor. Um, and then I can make tweaks based on it, knowing my work and, and style okay. and, and zeroing yeah, in. I think wow. if you're a, if you're a beat maker or a composer and, and I think it's going to be helpful there finding certain sounds and yeah. samples, I think, I think it's going to be a game changer in a positive way. I don't think there's a sense to really fear it because I don't hear enough people talking that, that end, but I just oh, think across the board, um, you know, in music and in art, you know, we're so connected through social media and we're so concerned about what other people think. Yep. Yep. I, I, I look back and this might be an out there thought, but in classical music, for example, you had these artists that w would live in their own little cities in Europe or around the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're not even hearing other artists. That's true. And their music, right. you know, you're talking like, you know, like Beethoven, you know, that dude, like, and, and I don't even think he was hearing at one point. So, right, yeah, and he's creating yeah. music, but, but where is he? And that music has stood the test of time and you hear Absolutely. it in commercials and modern day movies all the time. Yeah. And if you ask yourself why, well, that guy came from a place of, I'm, oh, I wonder if this track is going to resonate with, with my followers, <laughs> or I wonder if I, if I'm going to be able to get, you know, this type of endorsement deal based on doing that. He just operated from a pure, pure place yeah. of hearing music inside his head and putting it out there. And I think the, right. the closer that we can understand that that's how we've evolved as artists and humans yeah. mm -hmm. in, in this space, I think the more we can get back there, I think it would be a lot more beneficial to um, careers and longevities as artists and understanding your sound yeah. before putting it out there. Understanding. I think wow. yeah. um, it's, it's kind of crazy that people put out singles. I, I think if you're a new artist, you should never put out a single. Wow. I think you, you should, you should be working on your album or your mixtape mm. and then crafting that and then drop that. And then you're already, by the time that drops, you're already working on your next thing. True. Um, right. Because I think when you're, you're getting all these accolades and you're, you're one or two tracks in and you've gone viral, you don't even know who you are yet. That's true. And I yeah, think yeah. with hmm. this, with this film, taking it back to the much music, yeah. um, you know, it's bigger than a story of what happened at 299. It's really telling the evolution of music, where the music industry went from the rise of the music videos right. in, in, in 1984, MTV, uh -huh. much music launched all the way to the early 2000s when YouTube really killed that. There was no need to mm. watch much music because you could watch the music videos right. on YouTube. True. So where did music right. go from the 80s to early 2000s? And that's the bigger story that I'm telling in this film. Huh. And when you see these artists, and I, I chose the artists that um, are really iconic and relevant, okay. uh, even to this day. Yeah. And when you hear them speak, they know exactly who they are as artists. They've been refining their craft behind closed doors. They've been you know, killing it in the studio, or they've been touring for years. Um, there's one yeah. story in particular from uh, yeah. 
uh, Gwen Stefani, okay. who was in a band uh, called No, no Doubt, Doubt yep. in the in the mid nineties, yep. and she's doing an interview with Bill Wojcicki, who you had on this podcast a couple weeks <laughs> yeah, ago, yeah, who dropped Bill. his his new yeah. book. Um, and and I and I found it interesting because I tried to pick all the sound bites when an artist would say something that might be helpful to anyone doing any creative endeavor because it, it it gets a, a thought inside their head or might dispel the overnight success or the the genius and remove mm. all that because it's really not it's really just about showing up all day mm. every day and and battling resistance and being away at your craft yeah, like and that. Gwen Stefani and no doubt what she says is. Um, she goes, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that we're touring. We're headlining our first ever tour across Canada, North America. Yeah. She goes, because we were just about to give up. We were just about to quit as a band. We had been wow. seven years in and um, we felt like, you know, we're getting later in our 20s and we should probably go get real jobs. And I thought that was interesting because I'd never heard that before. And wow. <laughs> I think there's something really refreshing in that and hearing someone sure. that that could have, they were right at that that point where they almost quit but but they they kept kept they kept going and what would have happened and how many times has this happened where people walk away from businesses or or an unfinished album or whatever because they didn't see that success right away true yeah and a lot of times that failure or creating something if you don't see the immediate impact that's not always a bad thing it allows you to go back and, and rework it and yep. you're, you're able to operate under the radar. That's a beautiful place to it's be, true. you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true. so I, it, it, I find that the film has me, um, it caused me to be very inspired and rethink creative process. And I hope people take that away when they watch the film as well. Yeah. Wow. Dropped so many gems there that uh, you know, <laughs> just yeah. dropped the mic. Anthony, I, I finally understand yeah. what it's like to kind of be speechless and not even know how to kind of follow up because I'm just still kind just of just process, man. Just process, let it sink in. You guys, yeah. you guys, I got I got tickets for you guys by the way to come oh, out no to the way. Because you, you, it's oh next gosh, Friday no if you guys way. aren't oh, doing man. anything. Um, it's my birthday. Because oh, what's yeah, important birthday, is yeah. also is like next is your birthday, D. My birthday next week. Next oh, Friday, well, happy yeah. birthday tickets! Um, I'll give you, um, you so I'll give much. you guys a few extra so you can bring oh, dope, man. Um, no, those close it. to you. Wow. Because um, really it's I think it's important for you guys to see it and, and experience it in a live it. theater environment. Wow. Because um, I actually, it's actually a historic night because I'm the first ever independent filmmaker to rent out Roy Thompson Hall. Really? To show a film wow. has never been done before. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, usually around. it's a studio. Usually it's a festival. It's just like I'm just right, a dude yeah, that just sent an email. And I just called the box office. Hey, I, I want to rent this out for a wow. night. Be- because I, I knew awesome. it belonged on the biggest stage. I knew I knew yeah. the VJs, who are the stars of the film, yeah. deserved that. And so I knew there cool. was going to be a big enough audience That's to so come cool. out to do it. And I actually tried That's to get it distributed in theaters across Canada. Huh. And the distributors all told me the same thing. No one's going to pay $15 to see a documentary. What? And... I felt like they were wrong and they were they were short sighted. So I, 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 I got I, I got kind of irritated, and I'm at the point where when people tell me I can't do something, um, it almost fuels me because it's like, well, you've just surface level looked at something, and you don't realize the impact that much music had across the country. Exactly. So right. if you're not going to do it, then I'll just do it. So I actually right. booked an entire tour, and I didn't wow. I didn't book small theaters. This is very historic for an independent huge, documentary. Man. I booked soft cedar concert venues mm. across the entire country. So it's 13 different venues wow. um, that we're touring on. All the tickets can be purchased on 299 queenstreetwest.com. Nice. Um, 
but what we're doing here is 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 well, I mean, even for my premiere, I, I think back to that guy who said no one will pay fifteen dollars. <laughs> well, our premiere tickets are are you know, our premium tickets are $150 and we sold those all out. So, I mean, it it just goes to show you that there's, it's like, if you are thinking about something for long enough and you pitch somebody, Mm -hmm. understand that that person, it's not their fault, but they're spending like a minute, a fraction of the time thinking about it than you are. So when they give you that type of feedback, it's not that they're trying to dispel you or whatever. It's just they haven't really put the amount of thought that you have into your idea or your concept. Yeah. yeah so I agree. It's, just, yeah. it's understanding that and if you believe in it enough and you know the audience, I don't make uh, independent d- uh, documentaries that, that nobody cares about. I'm not overly artistic. I'm trying to make films that, that I want to see, but I also know that there's a large audience for it. True. Um, Man, that's From incredible. a business standpoint, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, we'll connect through email. I'll make sure you guys have tickets yeah, well, for next Friday because really I think it's important that. for you guys to, huge. to check it out. Yeah, I really, yeah, really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, this is uh, this has been a great conversation. And when you just touched on that last part about trying to distribute mm-hmm. your film, I have so many more questions. But I know you're a busy man, and we kind of promised an hour, yeah, so we'll I don't want to go over the hour. But have you back. really, really yeah. appreciate <laughs> you taking the time. If you have a couple more questions, you can hit me now, because I'm about to go on tour, so my time is going to it's be gone even worse. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, uh, just understanding the distribution process, after you make something, that that pitch, like, I've always been curious what a filmmaker or how a filmmaker goes about approaching. You've got this beautiful mm-hmm. documentary now, and you want to show it to the world. How do you go about even approaching somebody with it and like you had said earlier is there times where you approach them before you even have the finished product so i, I just had so many questions That's about that one, yeah. i was wondering if you could maybe share your experiences on your distribution challenges or how you've gone about it in the yeah past. i mean in the past i found out real early that sending a document to sell a written document to sell a visual idea yep. to people that are not making things visually because the individuals that that you know hold the purse strings that make those calls they don't think this in the same way so they and it's no fault of their own so what where i've had my success early on is i would just start the process i would i would go out of pocket hire a camera guy i would start in the documentary world um filming days filming interviews um grabbing footage and then i would turn around and always cut a trailer I would feel, you know, um, a, you know, a, a short 60 second, two minute piece with music, mm-hmm. with the yeah. visuals you've shot makes people feel like it allows them to get your concept right away. Trailer, it's the best yeah. tool. I mean, this is why major motion pictures in Hollywood still use the trailer Facts. to sell yeah. movie tickets. Yeah. So it, and it also allows people that make them feel, Hey, this is happening. Come on. You want to come on board or not? Um, right, and right. you have to be careful in not stopping at that point and sharing it too much and feeling like you accomplished something cause you haven't yet, but <laughs> right, I, that's where I, I've had my success and is, is, is being able to, to even on this particular film about much music yeah. was, was, that was everything cutting that into a trailer and sending that out. And that yeah. allowed, uh, access, uh, from there on out. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's huge, man. Yeah, there's. There, I mean, you know what? Let's do it right here. You want to agree to just come back for a part two? We can 
hold you to your word because it's recorded. <laughs> no, just joking. No, but we definitely, we definitely love to have you back to talk about. I know you have more Absolutely. in you, and I know you want to try and get into what else is in that beautiful mind because we're focused <laughs> on this project right here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love to just talk about some um, some of your ideas of things that you probably have. Is that how it works? Like you're working on, you're focused on this project. Do you have like next things in your mind already? Or are you sort of just like all in on this one right now? Um, no, because basically once I finished editing this doc last summer, yeah. I started my next oh, project. Wow. Okay. So Makes I'm sense, already yeah. um, I'm already in post production, already wrapped oh, production. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean yeah. that'll that'll break. That's cool. That that news will go out soon on where that's ending up. But um, yeah, my next one's a is a is a series and and hits on nostalgia and goes back into the '90s. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I try to always okay. move ahead, move forward. Um, I remember there was an opportunity that I had after Carter effect it was, uh, the Raptors went on to win the, uh, the championship the very next year yeah. in 2019. And yeah, so it went yeah, on yeah. Netflix in 2018, the very next summer they won, they won the first ever NBA championship. <laughs> and I remember, um, a major festival who shall remain or name, uh, nameless, yeah, nameless, yeah. uh, reached out <laughs> and they wanted, they, what they wanted to add an extra part and expand oh. on the Carter effect and, and put in the, the championship and, oh, and do you. all that. And, um, yeah. I was like, nah, that, that film existed in a certain time period. Mm. It was, it was a certain length. Um, and I didn't want to revisit it. So I, my mindset is, I think a lot of times I see filmmakers that they'll make something and, and they have a little bit of success and, they try to repeat that and almost do the exact same thing mm-hmm. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't right, think that's right, how you right. grow. Um, True. Actually, no, that's not how you right, grow. Right, right, right. Uh, if we, if, you know, you sh- if you show up to the gym every day, and uh, your sister-in-law, you know, she'll tell you that's if heavy. you're yep. doing the exact same exercises, you're not challenging your muscles and you're not growing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to always. So it's the same. It's the same principles in in life and in art and in business. Progress. Is you're always trying to find pockets of of doing things differently so that you can uh, you can get better and grow. Wow. You've well dropped said. a lot of gems throughout this one, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, this has been an incredible experience. And uh, before we wrap up, I do want to give you a moment to really just promote the film and tell everybody, you know, obviously we know it's 299 Queen Street West, but maybe talk about it, the website, when it's premiering, and if they can still check it out in a city near them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything you can find is, is on 299queenstreetwest.com. Nice. Uh, ticket information, you can... Uh, check out the trailer, um, sign up for updates, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I would say that's the, that's the main spot. And where can someone follow your, your journey or do you have any socials that you could share? Yeah, so yeah. my Instagram is just at Sean Menard and um, that's pretty much all I use. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually not the most active, but I have <laughs> been because I've, I've gone from filmmaker to um concert promoter oh right in, in a sense <laughs> Switching where, hats. so putting on an entire tour yeah so i'm i'm Jeez. i'm learning to embrace social media but i'm excited for the tour to be over and Fair. for me to, uh, to retreat into my analog cave <laughs> analog cave that actually might be a good title for something <laughs> analog cave that's that awesome is, yeah well done wow. thank you so much for your time man i'm really excited i hope i do get to to see the film next well, week. it's your birthday it your, your birthday yeah, present man, that's so I'll, I'll right, make exactly. sure that you guys you. Um, got a pair of tickets each I'll put you guys in a good spot oh, man, thank you so much and um, 
you know, Anthony's he's Anthony's alive. cousin Heather so will be there. So you sister, we'll make sure sister you guys are okay, dope. Sister in law. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Man. It's not my fault. I mean, now that you know, at the very beginning <laughs> in the green That's room, true. you didn't I'm even know like the I'm relation. All smart now. I'm like sister in law. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That no, we don't call people out on this show. It's all family. It's all family, man. Yeah, Sean, appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I'm gonna listen back to this because you dropped a ton of gems and just useful stuff for and uh, applicable to business, film, music, and every other walk of life. So. Well, listen, I, I I I know enough about you guys from from what I've heard and what I've gathered that this isn't your full time gig. I haven't heard any sponsors being dropped. So the mm. fact that you guys are out there doing this before whatever it is that you guys do the rest of the yeah. day speaks volumes. Keep doing that. Oh, Keep operating it, from that place. Um, I've been doing tons of media throughout yeah. this. I really thought that you guys asked very, th- you know, you're listening and you're having real conversations. And I think as you start to get more and more guests, I think that'll help you kind of grow. So keep operating keep from keep that place because yeah. this is one of my favorite things that I've done. I haven't been on podcasts wow. and handing out tickets after. So wow, man, that uh, means that a that lot. To, <laughs> well, you got you guys pulled things out of me, so that's um, and someone that usually is on the other side of the interviews, I can appreciate True, that. Man. So oh, man, um, we appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for your keep kind grinding. Words, yeah, thanks, really, man. really appreciate that. Until next time, everyone, thank you for joining us. Stay safe. Can I salute too?